in order for us to have the level of estrogen that we should have as healthy women, we need a healthy gut microbiome. And our gut microbiome becomes even more fragile when we go through menopause because of those hormonal changes. So it becomes even more important to nourish our gut microbiomes. You have more power over your health than what you've been told. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast. I'm Maya Acosta, and I'm passionate about finding healthy lifestyle solutions to support optimal human health. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life and increase longevity in a big way. Let's get started. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Maya Acosta, and we have Dr. Michelle Tullison back on the show. Welcome, doctor. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me back to be with you. It's a pleasure. Yes, I'm very excited to have you back. And I just want to kind of remind our listeners that we just completed the Lifestyle Medicine Conference this past week, and you were there, and I finally met you in person. Yes. It was great to be able to connect in person again after so long of only having virtual meetings with everyone and conferences. It was such a fun conference, wasn't it? Yes, it really was. And I missed the Women's Health Stronger Together workshop. That was the pre-conference workshop because we flew that day. But I was able to connect with, you know, the women's interest group did have a meeting and I was able to connect with everyone there. I wish I could have had, you know, more time. It's just these things go by so fast. They do, but it's always great to be connected with so many like-minded people who are passionate about lifestyle medicine. Exactly. So Dr. Tolleson, I picked up a copy of one of the books that we'll be talking about today, and it's the Paving Path book, but this one is on menopause. And you can see there that I've been going through it since I picked it up. It's one of those books, and we will be talking about this today. It's one of those books that is really intriguing when you're an individual like myself that wants to know what can I do to go through this phase of my life without so many complications. And so let's talk about that. How did you decide to write a book on menopause? Sure. So I, um, of course, I was trained in how to help women who are menopausal as an obstetrician gynecologist. But then when I was diagnosed with breast cancer and went through chemotherapy, I went through menopause several years earlier than I was planning on it. The average age of menopause in the United States is about 51 years or so. So I went through menopause with chemo. And then because of my breast cancer type, I had my ovaries removed. And I'm also on medication for about 10 years that decreased the amount of estrogen in my body. And because of my cancer type, I can't have any hormone replacement therapy. So I went through menopause in addition to being in active cancer treatment. And when I finished my chemotherapy, I thought that most of my symptoms would resolve and many of them did. However, I was still left with that fatigue and with some brain fog and with hot flashes and night sweats. So I I was already trained in lifestyle medicine. So I started to try to embrace even more of the healthy lifestyle practices that I was already doing or that I knew of. But as I was looking for resources for myself and then also for others who were saying, what do you recommend for hot flashes and night sweats? I was frustrated or disappointed to realize how little there was in the public arena as far as evidence-based information on healthy lifestyle behaviors and menopausal symptoms. It really is an area where it was hard to find information that was truly evidence-based or that was recent. It was like they were either really out of date or otherwise I felt like they were skewing the science to say that there was like a magic food that would take away all your hot flashes and night sweats forever, or they were saying it had no impact at all. And so 
I really felt like I wanted to get the information out. I was learning about it. I was looking into the research. I was digging into it, but not everybody has time to do that. And I think that as a breast cancer survivor, I feel really passionate about getting information that I am able to access out to everyone. I don't feel like it should be information that you should have to go digging through the literature or be a women's health lifestyle medicine expert in order to access. This should be information that I believe all physicians are taught during medical school or OB-GYN residents are taught during training that they can pass along to their patients. And so this access issue was something I discussed with Dr. Beth Frades. After I finished treatment for chemo, I did the Paving Path to Wellness group with Dr. Amy Commander, who is leading Paving the Path to Wellness for Breast Cancer Survivors. Dr. Beth Frades created the program. Dr. Amy Commander modified it for breast cancer survivors, and I attended her program. And then afterwards, Dr. Frades, Dr. Commander, and I wrote the Paving the Path to Wellness workbook based off of all of Dr. Frades' work. And so we had finished that book and I was talking to Beth, Dr. Frades, about my struggle with finding good resources for women who are going through or who had gone through menopause. And she said, I think we need this book. And I said, I don't think I can write another book. I think you're, I don't think I can co-author another book. It takes so long. But she said, no, this information really needs to get out there. And so she said, let's co-author it together. So Dr. Amy Commander, Dr. Beth Frades, and I co-authored this new book, Paving a Woman's Path Through Menopause and Beyond. Because it really, we often focus on menopause as if like, that's it. But really, it's menopause and we want women to thrive through menopause and then beyond healthy aging. So anyway, that's our book. It was definitely a labor of love. And I get so excited when I hear that it is being embraced or people are finding it useful because it truly came out of us wanting to do this to give back to women or to get them access. And all proceeds from both of our paving books, the Paving Path to Wellness Workbook, as well as this menopause book, all the proceeds go to the nonprofit pavingwellness.org. So wonderful. Well, I'm enjoying it. And, uh, you know, before we started recording, I said, I think every woman should have this book, sort of like the other book on breasts. And there's a book you recommend in here that really talks about the female health. And uh, I can't remember the title of it, but I'm currently I just started listening to it. And I believe that physician has a podcast as well. And so I'll mention it later when I re-record the intro. But it's a workbook. And I've been going through every section of it. And you say you can follow this however you want, however it calls you. So I jumped around immediately first to exercise. So I kind of went through various areas as well as timeouts and stress, those areas that I feel like are calling me. And usually when we think of immediately, what can we do right now to reduce the menopause symptoms? We always think of nutrition. So maybe we can start with that. Like what role does nutrition have in terms of the menopause symptoms? Yeah, so it definitely plays, definitely plays a role. So our gut microbiome, the bacteria that help us with so many things, but to live a really healthy life, they are in our intestines. And part of the gut microbiome is what's called the estrobolum, or they're actually the microbes that help us with metabolizing and modulating estrogen. And so in order for us to have that, the level of estrogen that we should have as healthy women, we need a healthy gut microbiome. And our gut microbiome becomes even more fragile when we go through menopause because of those hormonal changes. So it becomes even more important to nourish our gut microbiome. So that's fiber, fiber, fiber. We know that women in the United States are fiber deficient. And so women 
should be getting about 25 grams of fiber a day. And then we say after menopause, probably still about 22 grams a day. Some groups like the American Institute for Cancer Research recommend that it's even higher, but we are fiber deficient. Hopefully your listeners probably aren't fiber deficient, but overall we're fiber deficient. And so we want to nourish our gut microbiome with fiber so that it can flourish. We also want to be giving it enough fermented food. So I love encouraging my patients to get in their fermented foods like tempeh or a plant-based yogurt. I do a smoothie every day that has some plant-based yogurt in it or miso or finding ways to get those fermented foods in sauerkraut or, or the pickles that you buy in the refrigerated section. Also, we know about the role of phytoestrogens and phytoestrogens are plant estrogens. And so we used to worry about women getting too much of this as far as their risk of breast cancer. But actually, we know now that phytoestrogens are beneficial even for women like myself who have a history of estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. What they do is that they almost like gently cover the estrogen receptor. So in some places, they like gently stimulate it. And in some areas, they gently protect that receptor from being stimulated really hard by our body's own estrogen. And so eating phytoestrogens, minimally processed soy or Whole soy can really help vasomotor symptoms or hot flashes and night sweats for many women. So I recommend considering using soy. I don't like soy supplements or soy isolates. I think they can stimulate that receptor differently than whole soy foods. So I recommend whole or minimally processed soy. It's also been shown to possibly help with vaginal blood flow and lubrication, which is an issue after going through menopause for so many women, it may not completely reverse it, but it's important to note that that can help with vaginal blood flow as well. There's some great research out there by Dr. Neil Barnard and his colleagues, the WAVE study that looked at adding a half cup of cooked soybeans daily to one's diet, along with having a low fat vegan diet. And it was found to significantly decrease the incidence of hot flashes, as well as improve overall menopause quality of life. Now, we don't fully understand why many women have benefit with their hot flashes and night sweats when they eat plant estrogens or phytoestrogens, but not all women. So we think that there's probably more, well, we know there's more that we still need to learn about the gut microbiome. So we still need some more research, but many women do notice a significant improvement. Also, when I'm talking to women who have hot flashes or night sweats, I tell them they need to be mindful of their hydration because some women have hot flashes that are triggered by even mild dehydration. They should watch their alcohol and caffeine intake. I recommend that people don't start drinking alcohol if they don't already drink it and if they limit it to one glass or less a day of alcoholic beverages. But for some people, alcohol can trigger hot flashes and night sweats. For some people, it can be caffeine. Also recommending that women get enough omega-3 fatty acids. That's found to be beneficial in addressing hot flashes and night sweats. Many women, so nuts and seeds, and then also avoiding the sugar cycle, which is important for all of us, but that eating refined foods or refined carbohydrates that have our blood sugar go up and then come crashing down. So we want to make sure that we're getting a lot of that plant fiber and making sure that that's optimized during our perimenopausal time, that transition through menopause and then beyond. Well, I can testify that since I stopped drinking alcohol, I no longer have hot flashes. And (laughs) it's so funny that and also, like you said, not so much the caffeine for me. If I do have a coffee in the afternoon, I can tell right away. I start to feel hot, but in the morning, it doesn't affect me. But also just eating whole foods, the less processed, the better for me. And the workbook allows you to document all of this. It's a very interactive book in terms of really writing down the things that we're noticing. It's really like personal work. What about physical activity, why is that important in the peri and postmenopausal phases? Sure. So exercise is important throughout a woman's lifespan, but it becomes even 
extra important as we go through the menopause transition and then beyond. When women lose that estrogen, what happens, it usually tilts our balance. So it decreases muscle mass. And often we see fat mass increase and metabolism slow. And so even if we're eating the same amount of calories and even if we're moving the same amount, often we'll start to lose some lean muscle mass. And that's not what we want. We want to maintain our lean muscle mass. It's not that we want to be bodybuilders necessarily, but we want to maintain our lean muscle mass. And so that's why in addition to doing aerobic activity, it's really important that we do resistance training in order to maintain our muscle mass and our muscle strength. It also helps to keep our metabolism where it was before or to maintain that. We know that resistance training in peri and postmenopausal women has been found to increase life satisfaction, physical function. So I mean, years down the road, I want to be 90 and still able to pick up things off the floor and to get down and get up. It also supports positive well-being and resistance training in and of itself has also been shown to decrease hot flashes and night sweats when you just look at resistance training. I'm a huge proponent of resistance training, like those resistance bands. I did my resistance bands this morning in my bedroom, you know, just doing some different strengthening exercises, working on posture and pulling back and some arm strengthening, going to the gym or working with a physical therapist or a certified trainer who has expertise. That's great. But even just some bands at home or lifting some small weights can be beneficial too. And then aerobic exercise is important. We know that aerobic exercise is also, well, in some studies, it looks like it's probably beneficial with helping with hot flashes and night sweats. But even if we take that out, it still is, is so important for so many areas, whether it's cognitive health, brain health, bone health, decreasing our risk of dementia. We really see a dose response relationship. So as somebody is more cardiovascularly fit, their risk of dementia goes down. So a huge, huge role as far as maintaining our brain health. We also know that it decreases the risk of some cancers as well as some types of cancer recurrence. I think one of the things that's really fascinating is that one of our most newly identified hormones is called irisin, and that's released by skeletal muscle during and after physical activity. And so irisin is important because it helps to inhibit or delay dementia. It helps predict our telomere length so that the ends of the chromosomes that are shortened with aging. It also helps with bone strength increase our insulin sensitivity and how our body responds to sugar. It also works along with brain-derived neurotrophic factor or BDNF, which John Rady calls miracle growth for the brain. So doing physical activity is so, so important for so many reasons. Huge proponent of it for women across the lifespan, but especially perimenopause, it is so important. Different things that help with balance training. So like yoga, great research out there on yoga, things that help you maintain your flexibility and balance, all of that is so important. Yes. And I was actually looking at that resistance training and also the working on balance because I was thinking, you know, and you mentioned it that as we get older, we want to reduce our risk for falling because once we have sort of a hip injury or anything like associated with that, then the complications then begin even more. And if only we knew about the importance of exercising earlier in our years, we can easily go into menopause and into our older age with this practice already in place. But I've noticed, because I'm interested in signing up for a few classes, that there are so many dynamic fun classes now that are not the typical Pilates class, not the typical yoga class that we have thought of in the past. So I'm looking forward to signing up for more classes so that I can also be more physically active. This is great. You bring up that joy of movement, right? It's finding what you enjoy, what speaks to you. For me, I love doing Zumba in the morning. It is. It's finding what resonates with you, what resonates with them, what is joyful, what helps them feel alive and really focusing on that. 
Yeah. You mentioned stress in the book, and I jumped to that section as well because I have dealt with stress. And I've often said that the pandemic really brought a lot of things to the surface, but also I began to transition into menopause during that time. So it's hard to say which is the one that's affected me the most. But you say that society teaches women that stress is something to be avoided and conquered. It's almost like we're not supposed to feel this way. And there's the good stress, but also the stress that can actually affect our health. And I was wondering if you could talk about that. And then some of us that experience stress can have something like emotional eating or excessive alcohol intake. If you could talk about that. And another thing that I want to point out that you mentioned, because I'm in a different place in my life, I don't care for parents, I'm not raising grandchildren, but many women that are making that transition are responsible for other people, maybe adult children that are still living at home or sending a child off to college. So these are all the different things that are affecting us. It's a time when we feel like we're losing something or we're losing a part of our lives or making this transition, caring for parents. Can you talk about how we can navigate that and how does stress affect our experience of menopause? That's a great and great issue that you point out. So yes, we become more sensitive to stress as our hormones change. We know that progesterone is, it has a calming effect. And so we lose that progesterone or we are, the progesterone decreases. And so we become more sensitive or we have like a heightened or exaggerated sensitivity to stress as we go through the menopausal change and then postmenopausally. It's important to practice stress resilience or to look at how we can become more resilient to stress across the lifespan. But especially when we're going through the menopause transition, we need to First of all, be compassionate and honor that it is harder for us to deal with stress or that we're more sensitive to stress. So maybe things that used to happen years ago, maybe we could have like calmly sailed through it. But now some things that might before have been not a big deal might feel like a big deal. And to be compassionate to ourselves and say, it's not that I'm crazy. I am not a bad person. It's just that because of my hormonal changes, I am more sensitive to stress. And so I have to be extra mindful at how I take care of myself, at self-compassion, about my health talk about having a growth mindset. I do not need the perfect Thanksgiving dinner or the perfect Christmas dinner, right? Or the perfect decorations. Really, it's about coming together and being together. And nobody's perfect. We all feel these different things, but just that self-compassion and self-talk. I love that the paving program that Dr. Freedy's created has the focus on attitude because that can often help us with our stress when we have that attitude of gratitude and of self-compassion. Also with stress, I think it's important, like you mentioned, many people are going through changes during this menopausal time or that often career changes or relationship changes or kids are going off to school or empty nest or they're caring for others, maybe caring for parents. And so, so change is stressful. So we know that change can be good, as you mentioned, eustress or it can be distress. A certain amount of change is actually beneficial for peak performance, but it's when we have two excessive levels of stress that go on for too long. And so we want to be mindful of our stress levels to really look to see what is causing the additional stress and then what can you do to support your well-being as far as helping you manage that stress. So that comes back to eating a whole food plant predominant diet, getting enough physical activity. There's probably more research around physical activity and managing stress than any other area, getting enough sleep, which becomes harder after menopause too, but really trying to prioritize sleep having meaningful social connections. You don't need a million Facebook friends, but at least a couple people who you can call on when things get rough. 
And then being mindful. So the paving steps also has investigation. So is one of the 12 different themes of the book and investigation. What causes you stress? Because what used to cause you stress or what causes other people stress may not be what causes you stress in this moment. And then also using variety and investigation to find out what works best for you for managing that stress. For some people, it might be getting out in nature. And I always recommend getting out in nature to help with decreasing stress. Great research on that too. But for some people, it might be nature. For some people, it might be reading a calming book. Can you get out and go for a walk or spend time with your pet? So what is it that helps you manage your stress and then trying to be even more mindful and intentional about creating time for yourself? That time out is another area of the paving, 12 paving steps, but allowing ourselves to have that time to really decrease our stress and to be mindful of prioritizing our stress resilience practices that can often get pushed to the side when they're often needed the most. I'm so glad that you talked about all of this because since I mentioned, you know, that I've got, I myself am going through the change, I wasn't really prepared. You're busy living your life, working, doing the things that you're responsible for. And on top of that, you begin to notice changes and mood changes and anxiety goes up, stress goes up. And so it's good to know that it's part of the process and that we can now re-examine our lives and to see where we can adjust things. And you talk about, you know, finding a passion and taking time out, many different ways that we can manage that stress. And you're right, you know, we don't have to have the perfect Thanksgiving or the perfect anything. I think this is a great time to sit back and say, okay, I don't have to have a control over everything. Definitely, it's very comforting for me to read this book as well. There was some Something else that you mentioned in here that I was sharing with my husband when you have an area devoted to sexual health, which not a lot of people talk about, especially our mothers, our grandmothers, you know, a little taboo. But you say that only about 50% of women over the age of 50 are sexually active. That really shocked me. I don't know. But then all the other complications that women experience as a result of, you know, losing their estrogen levels. And you give tips in terms of what women can do to comfort themselves, to feel better as they're connecting with their partners. So if you'd like to mention any of that, that'd be great. Of course. So sexual health is an important part of overall health and well-being. And, and I do agree. I believe it's not discussed enough, but it's something that often is brought up in the gynecologist's office. Office about, about how women can support their sexual health and well-being. So it's an important area. First of all, I think it's important for women to know that they're not alone. Decreased libido or decreased sex drive is very common. However, that doesn't mean that we don't do anything about it or that we don't care about it. Just to acknowledge those that in our society where there's such high levels of stress, where there's problems with sleep, when there's we have a lot of physical inactivity, those things all play a role in sexual health and well-being too. So first of all, know that Decreased libido, decreased interest in in sexual activity is common, especially as women age or go through stressful times. This is compounded by the fact that vaginal dryness is really common or becomes more common in women after they go through menopause because as estrogen decreases, the vaginal tissues and the tissues, that tissue becomes thinner. And so that vaginal dryness often leads to discomfort or can lead to discomfort with intercourse. And so I try to share some information about local hormone replacement therapy. So some people choose to use just like vaginal estrogen or vaginal hormones. So I try to go over, I try to give women, I believe that women deserve all the education and then trust them to make their educated decision. I tried to give some information about hormone replacement therapy, but the risks associated with topical or vaginal estrogen are much lower for most women than systemic estrogen where every cell in your body is seeing that amount. 
So that can help with vaginal dryness. For some women, soy is able to help using moisturizer. So vaginal moisturizers regularly throughout the week to help with that tissue, just as you would kind of imagine a moisturizer for your hands. Dryness is more common everywhere. And then also vaginally with women after they go through menopause. So using a vaginal moisturizer, finding one that works well for you. For some people, it's coconut oil. So I mean, there's a variety of different things they can use, try different things and see what works best for you. And then if somebody who does want to have sexual intimacy, vaginal sexual intimacy after menopause, if they're experiencing vaginal dryness, I recommend vaginal lubricants. And the book has more information on that too. There's a variety of different vaginal lubricants. So it's just experimenting and finding what works best for you and your partner. And then I also knowing that the decreased genital blood flow that women often experience after menopause, or especially if women have any vascular disease, that that can lead to even increased vaginal dryness. And so for many women after menopause, they may benefit from genital vibratory stimulation, which is a vibrator, which I know is something we don't usually talk about, but I think that women deserve to have this information and know that vascular flow to the clitoral sensitivity still is maintained even after some of the vaginal sensitivity decreases. And so genital vibratory stimulation can help with increasing blood flow in order to help women who may be struggling with sexual arousal or vaginal lubrication. So I think that it's just important for women to have all this information to know and to destigmatize the use of it and to think of it as a medical device that's really useful for many women. And once again, just getting that information out and letting people make those decisions. But it's just something like Unless you're a gynecologist who's actually looking in the literature and reading about genital vibratory stimulation, it's just something that's not talked about. And I believe women deserve to have access to this information if it is something that they want to use. And then also, of course, there are many women who are not in a sexually intimate relationship or who are not having vaginal intercourse and to honor that there are many different ways to express uh, sexuality and well-being and that you don't have to be vaginal intercourse is just one way, but you can also be, you know, emotional hugging and caressing and touch. And there's so many different ways too. So just really honoring our sexual health and well-being and realizing that it's a part of us that does not go away as we age, even though society might want to minimize women who are postmenopausal or it can sure seem that way, that sexual health and well-being is an important part of who we are. And that if it's an issue or if somebody's struggling with it, they should go talk to their gynecologist or talk to somebody with expertise in this area because it is an important part of health and well-being. There are many things that can be done. Please don't suffer in silence. Reach out and get some help. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Don't suffer in silence because even though like you're recommending we speak with our gynecologists, many of us may be too shy (laughs) to bring up all of the discomforts and, and changes that we're going through. But I feel like this workbook really gives us the tools and the confidence to know how to speak about that and to say, okay, well, it is sort of a medical situation here that we're going through. So it's okay to talk about that. Another topic that you talk about is weight gain. And I myself have noticed that change just in this time that I've been going through the changes, is there anything that can be done about that? Sure. No, that's a great point. And it's so, so common. As those hormone levels change, we see that decrease often in lean muscle mass, if we're, especially if we're not doing resistance training, or maybe we need to do a little bit more. So we see a decrease in lean muscle mass and an increase in fat mass. And so even if we're eating the same number of calories, we often notice more weight gain as those hormone levels change. 
We also know that with sleep, often women struggle with sleep when they go through the menopausal transition. And even if they're not fully aware that their quality of sleep is decreased for many women, it, it is, they'll have hot flash or they'll have night sweats that prevent them from getting quality sleep. And we know that when someone does not get adequate sleep, that their ghrelin, the hunger hormone increases and leptin, the hormone that makes us feel full and satiated, it decreases. So ghrelin increases. I think of it like the little gremlin that's saying, eat that, eat that, eat that donut. And you're like, no, I know that that's not nourishing for my brain and for my body, but ghrelin increases, leptin decreases as our sleep is, we're struggling with sleep. And then also we become more sensitive to stress. And so we're fighting that increased in seeking out foods that often aren't truly nourishing for our body and mind. So we eat more calories, sometimes not, not even aware because we're fighting that ghrelin and leptin. So between the change in muscle and fat mass, often the slowing of metabolism, the change that we see with our hormones and with the sleep, it can really feel like, oh my gosh, I'm doing all the same things I used to. I didn't just like start eating junk food. I'm doing the same things I used to, but why am I struggling more? So first of all, you are not alone. Know that you're not alone, that this is, it's really common, but that doesn't mean that we have to just say it's common. And so this is the way it is. Know that we have so much, so much power. There's just so much that we can do as far as doing some of that, like some of that resistance training and considering working with somebody. You can also ask your physician, can I have a referral to a physical therapist or connect with a uh, personalized exercise trainer so that they can help you create a physical activity regimen that's really designed to you and where you're at. You don't want to injure yourself. So many people or do resistance training where they're not doing enough. So they don't see enough of a change and they think this isn't doing anything. Or sometimes we see the other extreme where people lift too much and then they get hurt and then they're not going to come back and do it. We don't want people to get hurt, but we also want people to be seeing change. And so that's where I love if you can work with a physical therapist or a trainer to make sure that you're doing exercise that is safe for you, but where you're truly going to see benefit. I think that's really important. So addressing physical activity with some resistance training, also addressing sleep and prioritizing sleep, even though it becomes more challenging, we need to really prioritize and do everything that we can as far as doing sleep hygiene to help us get enough sleep. And that helps us with weight as well. And then to manage stress, it's just so interconnected. Yes, it really is. That's encouraging. So definitely the secret is to have that resistance training in there. And does walking helps with emotional enhancing our sense of overall, of overall wellness, but also reducing the stress, but it doesn't help as much with weight loss, does it? So any physical activity is good. So I always say like, the, you know, any physical activity is good physical activities. Walking is absolutely wonderful. I think the resistance training is so important just because of that muscle mass. So yes, walking is better than not walking a little bit faster. That's great because you are, you know, you're simulating those muscles, but if you can do even a little bit more focused resistance training, you know, two to three times a week, it's not like we're saying go spend an hour in the gym every night, but if you can do two to three times a week, separated by a day or two and do some resistance training, that can be really beneficial, but don't stop walking. Walking is absolutely fabulous too. That's awesome. We're going to resume our walks pretty soon in our area. And so my goal is to, you know, encourage people to find a group in their area that they can walk with or exercise with, especially because as we get older and we go through this menopause phase, we also find ourselves experiencing loneliness. And it's just because, you know, you may not be connected because you're maybe transitioned out of a career or like you mentioned, you know, experiencing the emptiness from having children moved out. So what are some of the things that we can do to kind of fill that void? Great point. So yes, first of all, the listeners should know that they are not alone, that loneliness is really, really common, that it's felt by many people. 
often women feel like we should be the social butterflies that we're expected to have a million friends, but COVID really shone a bright light on isolation and loneliness. And that even though we are a very connected, like via social media, we might have like thousands of friends or likes, that it's really those like deep or those strong relationships, people we can call on when we're going through a rough time. Those are the ones that really support our emotional health and well-being the most. And so first of all, know that it's not rare to feel lonely or to experience loneliness, even if you do have others around you, that it's important to connect with others who are going through similar things. And so that's where like the paving the path to wellness groups, where people are in a group where they can talk with others who are going through some of these different same things and connect with with others that can be really powerful we know that we see a decrease in dementia incidents as contact frequency increases and so it's important for our brain to be maintaining those connections and then we also see that people who are more lonely and socially isolated have an increased risk of heart attack stroke and cardiovascular related death so i say connection isn't you know it's not just oh well it's nice if we have time that it really is an important part of our physical and mental and overall health. And so it's important to prioritize that, especially when we get busy, everything can seem to come before that. But marking time on our schedules to meet with those friends or to reach out and call people. But I think so many times women think, well, if I just don't automatically have a million friends, then something's wrong with me. But there is nothing wrong. Reach out and try to connect with others. Reach out and join a different group. Maybe it's a neighborhood group, or you mentioned like you're going to resume walking community groups, reach out and join and stay connected because know that others will benefit from being connected with you. Like even our connection right now, I'm receiving the gift of being able to connect with you today. I know we're not in person, but I'm receiving the gift of your connection and it strengthens both of us. So I want your listeners to know that when they reach out and connect with others, that they're also helping that other person too, that they will receive what they're also giving to that person because we all need that social connection and support in order to flourish. I agree. And I feel really blessed as a podcaster. I get to speak to so many people from all walks of life and I'm always having fun with these conversations. So even though I'm here by myself, it's like connecting with people. It doesn't have to necessarily be in person. And you just briefly talked about the Paving the Path Wellness Program group. So is this for anyone who has read the book and is familiar with the steps or how do people join? Sure. Great. So Paving the Path to Wellness was started by Dr. Frades and it's been initially she did the program for stroke survivors and their caregivers out of Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital, one of the Harvard hospitals. It was then modified for breast cancer survivors by Dr. Amy Commander and has since been modified for other patient populations, for healthcare providers, for worksite wellness. So it's been modified for many different groups and offered in a variety of formats. With the pandemic, it used to be, I believe, mostly or all in person, but then with the pandemic, it switched to being offered virtually in some groups. So the pavingwellness.org is the nonprofit organization's website. So if any of your listeners are interested in learning more, they can go to Paving Wellness. Org, and they can reach out if they're interested in learning more. They can share their contact information because we are about ready to start launching groups through the pavingwellness.org website. And so we'll be doing groups that are the general paving steps, the 12 paving steps, physical activity, A is attitude, B is variety, I is investigations, N is nutrition, G is goal setting, then steps, sleep, timeouts, energy, because that's a big issue for so many women, especially going through menopause is decreased energy or increased fatigue. Purpose, you mentioned that before, connecting all of this with your purpose of why do I care about engaging in healthy lifestyle behaviors? How can I connect this with my purpose? 
in social connection and stress management. So those are the 12 paving steps. And they really are meant to help people flourish with a healthier body, a more peaceful mind and a more joyful heart. And to get everybody access to that, that everybody deserves evidence-based information on how to flourish with regard to these 12 steps and then to be in an environment where they're supported. And so people can just read the books, which is totally fine. But then if other people want to join the 12-week program that it was when it was originally designed by Dr. Frady's, they can actually join a group of typically like 8 to 25 or so people who have um, maybe who are all perimenopausal or postmenopausal or who are working on a certain area of health and well-being and then gather together for 12 weeks or it's sometimes offered in other arrangements. So maybe it's six weeks where they do two of the themes a week, but a variety of sessions. So if you're interested, if your listeners are interested in learning more, reach us through the nonprofit organization's website. Let us know that you're interested in connecting with us and we'll send you information about the groups and other ways to get involved with Pleading Wellness. Wonderful. I'll make sure to include that link as well. And this is wonderful. You said to be in an environment that's supportive. I wish that I had had this book just a couple of years ago (laughs) because I would have probably had seen the symptoms like I'm going into menopause. And now I'm, I'm so thankful for the women's health group because I'm learning so much about how to understand what is happening with me and also not being shy about it. And I wish I could have said like, you know, as I'm going through this, to my husband, you might notice some changes in me and it might be because of this and that. So to be comfortable with what we're going through is part of the process of the blessing of living beyond 45, 50 years old or however long. It just seems like this wonderful experience is just on the other side of all of this. I mean, I'm going through it, doing the work and I have a life coach as a result of my anxiety, but I'm already finding that I'm coming to a nice place. So because I'm understanding things better So I'm loving it. So Dr. Tollefson, you're a breast cancer survivor. You've been on the show sharing your story. I was wondering if you can just briefly, if you'd like to, we just talked about breast cancer awareness in October, but if you'd like to give us some tips in terms of how my listeners can decrease some of those risks for breast cancer, please feel free. Oh, great. Thank you. Yes, I always appreciate an opportunity to talk to women about decreasing their risk of breast cancer. So I love the American Institute for Cancer Research, AICR. They have some amazing resources. And so they go along with a lot of what we've already talked about today about trying to eat a lot of whole foods. So minimizing our processed foods, not drinking sugar sweetened beverages like soda or um, eating a lot of that ultra processed food, really trying to eat a lot of whole foods, foods where we can tell what it was when it came from the ground. Um, eating a lot of plants, eating the rainbow, all the different phytonutrients or the plant nutrients that come. They're what give plants their smell and their taste and their color. And we just keep learning more and more about all the benefits of the phytonutrients for reducing the risk of some cancers and including breast cancer, as well as doing other amazing things for our health. So try to eat the rainbow, get in those fruits and vegetables. I recommend if people are struggling at all with getting in lots of servings of fruits and vegetables that they think about doing a smoothie. I do a smoothie every day that has some kale and some mango and some soy milk and some flax seeds. Think about ways to increase fruits and vegetables, getting berries in. So just a variety of abundance of plant foods. Also, physical activity decreases the chances of somebody getting breast cancer and maintaining, obtaining or maintaining a healthy weight after menopause also decreases the risk of getting breast cancer. But know that even if you do all of these things, oh, and sleep as well, we know we're learning more and more about sleep and about the importance of trying to get adequate sleep, at least seven hours a night of restorative sleep. But even if you do all of these things, 
and and not drinking alcohol can also increase the chances of breast cancer. So even if you're doing all these things, still get your mammogram. I had no symptoms. I'd done clinical breast exams for years and I couldn't feel anything. Even before my biopsy, I said, let me just see if I could feel this, but it was hiding behind my nipple, this growth, and it was growing into my chest wall. So I had a normal mammogram. One year and one week later, I had a two centimeter mass that was invading my chest wall that I, as a doctor who'd done thousands of breast exams with these fingers, that I could not feel. I had no symptoms. I did not have a strong family history. I breastfed my kids, even if you're doing all these things. So yes, please do all the different things you can to eat healthy foods and to be physically active. And all of those are are so important for so many reasons, including decreasing the risk of getting breast cancer, but also do your screening, do your mammograms, do your screening, talk with your doctor. There's some different uh, schedules as far as like how frequently to get them and when do you start and stop. But I recommend talking with your doctor and doing your screening. Don't put it off. I don't know that I would be here if I had waited an extra year. Don't know that I would be here. So the, my mammogram screening probably saved my life and caught it. It was really aggressive, so caught it when it did. So 16 rounds of chemo and seven surgeries later, and I'm doing really well. I still get nervous. I still have neuropathy, and I still get nervous when I have tumor markers drawn every three months. I would like to tell you that I'm perfect with all of this lifestyle medicine stuff, that I have everything figured out. But life is a journey for all of us. We're all on a journey together. And I still get super stressed every three months, no matter how much I tell myself, it's okay, you're doing everything. But it helps me to know that I'm doing everything that I can to decrease my risk of a recurrence. So yeah, so please get your mammograms. Please eat lots of plants. Please move more, stress less, love more, all of those fabulous things. And take care of yourself and take care of one another. We need to, you know, community of women, we need to be advocates for each other. We need to speak out and let our voices be heard. As we age, I believe as women go through menopause, if we look at the media, if we look at what is often highlighted as being most important in society with youth, and I, you know, I, when I see those commercials about like, oh, I look so much younger, or like as if that's all that we should all be aiming for in our life is just to look young, and that's where our true value lies. No, it's in our wisdom, it's in our beauty, it's in our experiences and what we share. And so I think that our voices are important, of course, throughout our lifespan, but I think that using our voice as passionate women becomes even more important as we go through menopause and beyond speaking out on behalf of those who don't have access to the lifestyle medicine knowledge and pillars. I think often it's easy for those of us who are in this kind of wellness world or more cognizant of it. It's easy to think, well, maybe everyone already knows this or is doing this, but we still deal with a lot of health disparities, people who don't have access to healthy food, people who don't have access to safe places to walk. And I just think we need to keep addressing that as well. And speaking for those who don't have a voice and getting access and this knowledge to everyone. That's really pavingwellness.org. And my mission is to get this evidence-based lifestyle medicine information to everyone, and then also to help support them with the tools and resources to make these healthy behavior changes, because everyone deserves to thrive, not just those of us who know to go looking for some literature here and there. Really, everybody deserves this information. Everybody deserves a nourishing environment where they're able to thrive. Absolutely. And I thank you for saying that. Thank you for just mentioning that there are those women that probably cannot afford to do these kind of things, you know, to take a yoga class, to eat healthy food, where that's part of what Lifestyle Medicine does is we're working hard to get this information out to everyone. Dr. Tollefson, as we're closing, I don't know if you'd have time to do some rapid fire questions just to get to know you a little bit better. I know that you're busy right now and the children are around. This is actually Thanksgiving week. <laughs> we're recording on a Monday. 
So lots of things to do right before Thanksgiving. So, okay. So a couple of questions. Are you ready? All right. Awesome. What is the best thing that happened to you this year? The publication of the menopause book. And I was so excited. It came out in color. Our publisher, he was, I was like, please do it in color. And he was like, yes. And so anyway, so being able to be the co-author, yes, the co-author of this book with Dr. Beth Brady's and Dr. Amy Commander is, I think is my highlight of the year. Oh, wow. Yes, it really is. I didn't realize that at the conference, all three of you were available to sign the book. And so I missed that opportunity. We'll do it later. Where do you go when you need to relax? So if I'm at home, sometimes I just go into my bedroom to be away from my six-year-old and nine-year-old boys who I love deeply. However, sometimes I need to just have my own time in order to relax. And then I love traveling. I love, love traveling. So Costa Rica is my favorite destination to get away and relax. But if I'm at home, sneaking away to my bedroom. Oh, that's great to have that little time out. And we will, I will mention and put some links down that you do have some upcoming Costa Rican trips, retreats that you schedule for next year, where you will basically guide people into the blue zone, because that is one of the places of the world where people live the longest and they're predominantly plant-based. Yes, for sure. I'll be doing the education there a couple of weeks this July. So yeah, I'd be happy to talk to any of your listeners about that. All right. Awesome. What was the best present that you've ever received? That's a hard one, but I think it's probably the connection. After I went through chemo, I joined a survivorship group and it was incredibly depressing. And so I thought, this is not for me. I dropped out. I'm never coming back. It just was not right. And Dr. Beth Brady said, you need to join Dr. Amy Commander's breast cancer survivorship group. So it was one of those like blessings in disguise because of the pandemic, Amy's group had just transitioned from being in person, which they're in Boston, I'm in Colorado. They just transitioned from being in person to being online and they let me join partway through. And I thought, I don't need a peer group with others. I thought like, I know this, I know about nutrition and exercise and stress and sleep. So I thought like I can do the research, but I learned about attitude and about writing and investigations and about energy and about purpose. And there are things that I knew about, but to really spend time going deeper and reflecting and looking at how I could use those pillars in order to enhance my well-being and to deal with energy because I was experiencing a lot of fatigue still with menopause and also being after chemo. So the best gift was probably Beth Brady saying that I should join Dr. Amy Commander's group. And then, like I said, I fell in love with it when I like the last day we were saying our goodbyes to that group on the last of the 12 sessions. And I remember feeling teary and being like, I did not think I, you know, even really wanted to be part of a, a group of people who'd come together to discuss this, but it was so meaningful. So that's probably the best gift I've ever been given. Well, that's even encouraging because now you're talking about how other people can be part of that paving the path to wellness program. What upcoming life event are you excited about? Oh, my daughter graduates really soon. She's going to graduate from high school. So that's exciting that we have that coming up. And then we'll be doing some traveling this summer. And I always love traveling with family. So with my extended family and with my immediate family. So those are the life events that I love that are coming up. And of course, just the holidays are amazing to celebrate. My kids' birthdays are on December 13th, 18th, and 21st. So we have a lot of celebrating around (laughs) the holidays. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. And your daughter was the one that went with you to Costa Rica and was sampling, was doing some of the meal prepping out there. I think I saw it on social media. (laughs) That's so cool. Okay, one last question. Is there something that most people are afraid of that doesn't scare you? Sure. So I used to feel really nervous presenting in front of groups. And now after being a professor and after talking to so many different groups, that doesn't scare me like it used to. I think that I um, I still maybe felt some anxiety around it before 
being a breast cancer survivor, but now being a breast cancer survivor, I feel so strongly that women deserve to have information, evidence-based information on lifestyle medicine. And I just see the need for what we're doing as so strong that it's almost like that's taken over. And I don't really feel an anxiety to talk, to speak out or do public speaking anymore. I mean, it's just this information needs to be known. We need to get it out there. So I used to get nervous before podcasts or, you know, like talking to group or doing conferences. And now I just feel like it's a blessing, a joy to be able to share this message with others and to help spread the message in any way, any way that I can. So thank you. And we're very lucky that you have your training as a gynecologist and that you have the ability to deliver this message the way you do and you lead the Women's Health Interest Group. And there's so much that you're involved in to empower women. So even though we may not have you as our personal gynecologist, you definitely are helping to give us the tools that we need to take care of our health. And what's the best way for women to find this book, The Paving the Path? So Paving a Woman's Path Through Menopause and Beyond you can find it on Amazon along with the original paving workbook. They're both available on Amazon or you can go to our publisher, Healthy Learning and get them that way as well. You can also go to our website, the pavingwellness.org. You can go there and it'll direct you the different ways you can purchase them as well. Once again, all of the author's proceeds, Dr. Commander, Dr. Frades and I were co-authors for both of those books and all of the proceeds go to the nonprofit organization so that we can get this information out to others. It truly is our desire just to help others. And then I should mention too, even though she's not one of our co-authors, the other member of the board of directors for Paving the Path to Wellness is Val Tipman. And so the four of us just feel really passionate. We feel really strong about the need to get this information out there and spread the word. Thank you so much. Dr. Tollefson, it's been wonderful having you again. Thank you for sharing this information on menopause. And, you know, ladies go out and get your breast exams. You know, they're easy to do. Grab yourself a copy of this book if you can. It's on Amazon. And thank you again, Dr. Tollefson. Oh, thank you for the opportunity. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. Feel free to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to spread our message. Thanks for listening.